This week on Geek Explained, we're celebrating my birthday by continuing our month-long Spotlight series. This week, we're diving into a story embracing change and hope for the future, as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely's Batman and Robin Reborn. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the second in our month-long Spotlight series, where every single week in the month of August, I am taking a look at a different comic book and telling you just why it is so cool. And this one's a little special because it's my birthday. Uh, almost. As you were listening to this, my birthday is in two days on August 12th, and... I've got a lot of feelings towards it. You know, it is my 30th birthday. I have been, if, if you haven't been listening to the podcast in the last few weeks, I have been spiraling on this existential crisis for a good long while now. And I wanted to take the week of my birthday and look at a comic that inspires me, a comic that gives me the feeling of being okay with closing a chapter and opening another one. And so that brought me to one of my favorite periods in all of comics, and that is Dick Grayson taking the mantle of Batman. Specifically, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely is Batman and Robin Reborn. Um, I love this book to death. This was my favorite period of Batman comics, and even though it is long gone and has long been concluded, I still look back at it fondly, and I wanted to look at it through the lens of someone who is staring down, I guess, the back half of his life. <laughs> I've been getting very uh, self-introspective as of late. And if you didn't listen to last week's uh, episode where I got very introspective on my recovery, post-op, and all of the things going on in my life, um, I wanted to kind of continue that ball rolling. So this week we are taking a look at Batman and Robin Reborn, Basically, just the first arc as, you know, the comic went on. I could talk about Revenge of the Red Hood, but I think I'll save that for another time. This one, I really just wanted to talk about the comic that spoke to me this week. So I'm going to be talking all about that, going through why I love it so much and why it spoke to me, especially as I look at my upcoming 30th birthday. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. And there are some really, really good ones. So stay tuned for that after the jump. But for now, let's roll on right into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I put the Geek Explained spotlight once again on Batman and Robin Reborn. Get up the beaches of my life 
change is scary. I don't know if there's another way to describe it. And that's kind of how I've always viewed it. Change is something that I have never really handled very well. But one thing that will always stay the same is that change is inevitable. And through most of my life, I've dealt with a lot of change just in my day-to-day life. I was a military brat, so I got very used to, very quickly as a child, living in a place for around uh, two to four years, and then when we were stationed somewhere else, my entire life, my friends, my relationships, pack it all up, go somewhere else. And I kind of, I think as a kid, began to resent change a lot. And when I got older, I think that resentment just kind of got more uh, intense in a way. Because when things would change, I would have a really hard time adjusting to it. Whether it was a new status quo for my personal life, whether it was uh, stuff at home, whether it was, you know, any of the wild things that can happen when you're working as an actor. And there was one constant in my life that I knew that I could always return to as things changed around me, and that was comic books. Specifically, my comfort comic books always had to do with a certain character named Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson was my rock. He was the guy who I grew up with. He was the character that you kind of got to see at every stage, right? We've had countless stories of him as, you know, a little kid pre-Robin, him becoming Robin, him growing as Robin, becoming disillusioned as Robin, leaving his Robin role behind, becoming Nightwing, a Teen Titan, embracing that, growing and changing as we all do. And so growing up with a character who experienced that as well, made Dick Grayson my comfort character. I know a lot of people will always kind of go with Spider-Man in that role, and to a certain extent, as I've gotten older, that character has become a certain amount of a comfort character for me, but when I was going through a lot of changes in the late 2000s in my family, uh, when my parents got divorced, my rock was comic books, and someone in those comic books was going through a radical change right around the same time as I was, and wouldn't you know it, it was Dick Grayson. Because during that period in the late 2000s, Dick Grayson had become Nightwing, he was this you know, bedrock for the DC universe, he was the character that everyone could look to and was kind of this binding agent for everybody. Even if you had no friends in the superhero community, you knew that you had a friend in Nightwing. And when Final Crisis happened, shortly after Batman R.I.P., which was set up as Grant Morrison's big magnum opus for the Batman character, their final stamp on Bruce Wayne and his Cape Crusader persona, something happened in those events. 
um, Batman Bruce Wayne was put through the ringer. And even though he came out of Batman R.I.P. relatively unscathed, it wasn't the same. The same couldn't be said after Final Crisis, right? Because in the climax of that, spoilers for Final Crisis for a comic that's, I think, 13 years old by now. Um, if you haven't read it yet, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of spoiling people on things. So if you haven't read it, I guess you know. Go read it. It's a great comic. Uh, Grant Morrison made this giant bombastic space opera for basically the entire DC universe. And so at the end of that, again, spoilers, 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 Batman quote unquote dies. Bruce Wayne is killed by Darkseid's Omega Beams. Superman finds his body. He is presented as dead. And all of a sudden, the world didn't have a Batman. Now, as we would come to find out, this wasn't exactly the truth. Uh, Bruce Wayne wasn't killed. He was sent backwards in time because of the Omega Sanction. And you can go and check out the Return of Bruce Wayne comic because I'm not going to be talking about it here. But that left a void, a hole in things. And in Gotham City, people pretty quickly realized that Batman wasn't around anymore. So everything devolved into chaos. And shortly after Final Crisis, we got the amazing event, Battle for the Cowl. People can shit on Battle for the Cowl all they want. I don't care. I love that comic. It is so good. Because this was a fight for the soul of Gotham City. And not just the soul of the city itself, but the soul of who guards it, who protects it, who stands on the wall and looks for threats. And though several people try to fill that role by the end of the story, the path is very clear for the reader and for the eventual successor to Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson. By the end of the story, Dick Grayson has been decided to take up the mantle as Batman and has decided to take on a Robin. He doesn't go with Tim Drake, the current Robin at the time, telling him that he sees him more as an equal and doesn't really feel like it would be doing Tim any any favors to treat him as a sidekick. So he takes in Damian Wayne, the son of Bruce Wayne and Talia al Ghul who had made his appearance earlier on in the Batman and Son storyline, and who was right at the cusp of needing new guidance, because he was starting to question things. He was starting to question his upbringing, the way that things were done, and started wondering if maybe there was another way to live his life, besides as the head of the demon. And so... That basically sets the status quo for this comic. Batman and Robin Reborn. Uh, this was the, I guess you could call it the second act of Grant Morrison's run with Batman. I'm sure, I know other people who are much smarter than me have called it that, so I'm going to defer to them. And with this comic, I was thrilled. <laughs> when I heard that Dick Grayson was going to get the chance to put on the cape and cowl and, you know, forge his own destiny as the Cape Crusader, I was over the moon. 
And then I started to think about it and I started to get worried because one thing about the Grant Morrison run of Bruce Wayne is that they have not just an encyclopedic knowledge of Batman's adventures, but they also know what makes Bruce tick in a way that I don't always enjoy. I have never been a huge fan of the Bat God, uh, the persona, essentially, that Grant Morrison gives Bruce. He's always got something up his sleeve. He always has a way to, you know, outplan whoever he's facing. And it just kind of... You know, the, the whole argument that people give for, oh, I don't like Superman comics because everything's too easy for him. Well, read Grant Morrison Batman comics because that's generally what happens. And that's not at all a slight to Grant Morrison. They wrote incredible stories with Batman and with Bruce Wayne. But when it came to Dick Grayson... That's something different. That's someone who doesn't have all the answers. That's someone who's not the world's greatest detective. And so I was very worried that they were just going to take Dick Grayson and then make him Batman, make him Bruce Wayne, make him Batgod Jr. And you cannot imagine my surprise when I cracked open Batman and Robin Reborn and found not just a flawed Batman, but a Batman who is afraid of change. And as I am looking at my upcoming 30th birthday, which is happening this week, I wanted to revisit one of my favorite stories and my comfort character. And I guess just kind of talk about change and talk about being really nervous about the future and just trying to make it your own. So Batman and Robin Reborn took place across uh, Batman and Robin. I, I think they just numbered it Batman and Robin number one through three. So this is one of the shortest uh, Batman. I mean, really one of the shortest spotlights we've ever done for the podcast. But it's one that I think is incredibly important and one that really speaks to me, especially now. And so I wanted to talk about it a little bit, uh, if you'll indulge me. I mean, obviously you are. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast, right? So Batman and Robin Reborn is in three acts, three parts. The first part is Domino Effect. Now, this story sets up the new status quo for Batman and Robin, and it starts it off in a pretty bombastic way, right? We get, you know, some criminals trying to escape from the Batmobile, but it's not your run-of-the-mill Batmobile. This Batmobile flies and is one of my favorite Batman Batmobile designs ever, period. And we see very quickly that the power dynamic between Batman and Robin has shifted, right? Uh, it's been said before by many other people, and it will be said again here because I can't help it. Um, this story set out to give us the smiling Batman and the grim brooding Robin. And you get that set up right away as Damian Wayne settling into his Robin uh, costume is the one who put together the schematics for this Batmobile. He was 
it says that he used his father's blueprints and basically it seems like he's the one that built the Batmobile and Dick is just having a good old time. I really enjoy Frank Quitely's art in this story. Uh, Frank Quitely for a lot of people is very hit and miss and the combination of Quitely and Morrison is one of those legendary duos, you know, like uh, Lee and Kirby or Snyder and Capullo or... You know, all these other names, uh, Wolfman and Perez, all of these duos that have put their stamp on comics because of how well they work together. And this one is no different. Their collaborations like Flex Mentalo, um, All-Star Superman are some of my favorite comics in all in the history of the genre, of the medium. And this one really does a great job in sticking to what makes that partnership sing while also giving you a very different visual DNA, which I really enjoy. Not everything is as bombastic looking as you could expect sometimes with uh, quietly trying to translate Morrison's stories. A lot of this is close-ups a lot of this is uh really tight shots of people's faces showing all of the emotion that they've got and when and it makes it so like when big action does happen it hits even harder but it also gives us this window into these characters in a way that you don't always get with batman comics a lot of times especially with some of the lesser uh my I'll say my least favorite Batman comics. It's all about, all right, Batman's in the back costume and he's punching guys and he's being a badass all the time. And that's the story. That's who he is. But here, there's a lot of time spent out of costume or at least with the masks off because these are characters who are communicating how vulnerable they are through their own masks. And while... It's not as literal as I think a lot of people may want with a Batman comic. What I love is you see the masks that both Dick and Damien are trying to wear, not just as Batman and Robin, but with each other, right? Dick is desperately, desperately trying to be Bruce, and he even, you know, brings that up over the course of the story, but he hasn't gotten comfortable yet with the Batman persona. This is a far, far cry from Batman the Black Mirror, a comic that I have done on this podcast. You should go check it out. One of my favorite episodes. One of my favorite comics of all time. This is the Dick Grayson who just started being Batman. I think it's his first week. And he is still trying to figure out what kind of Batman do I want to be? Uh, Am I just going to be Bruce 2.0? Am I just going to continue the way things are? And what does that mean for how I treat Robin? And him trying to put up that mask of I'm Batman in the same way that Bruce always put that mask up with him when he was Robin immediately causes conflict and drives a wedge between him and Damien, who has problems expressing himself outside of his mask himself. Damien Wayne is a very complicated character, and he's a character who Grant Morrison admitted in an interview they knew that people were going to hate because they were playing the long game with him. And 
I mean, it's true. I could not stand Damian Wayne when he was first debuted and in this initial story when I first read it because I was like, no, I don't. I don't want this punk ass kid. I like Tim Drake. Tim Drake is Robin. He's my Robin. And seeing the persona that Damian Wayne puts on in this story is one that we are very familiar with because it's Batman's. It's Batman's own persona that he puts on. Tough as nails, doesn't you know, make personal connections and in the worst aspects of the character and the worst, you know, stories of the character, he's belittling and dismissive of everyone around him because they're beneath him. Damian Wayne was raised by Talia al Ghul in the League of Assassins, so he has a certain air of superiority around him. And maybe it's just me, but I've always pictured him with a British accent. I don't know if it's because my early uh, exposures to Raish and Tatalia were be- through the bat through Batman the animated series where they had very distinct accents and were very easily uh, you know given this air of nobility and superiority. And so whenever I read Damien, I always hear a British accent. And this immediately puts him at odds with Dick, who is I've always heard much more laid back in his vocal style and it also in a way gives him this really nice rapport with alfred like anytime alfred interacts with him it's just like they seem like they are just begrudgingly british with each other and that's not to dismiss um damian wayne's middle eastern heritage though there are a lot of middle eastern people who i've met who have that accent for very terrible reasons, which you can Google. But I always, like in this initial scene where we're introduced to the new the new Batcave, which is underneath Wayne Tower, because Dick didn't want to operate out of the Batcave out of some kind of weird reverence to Bruce, there's this uh, moment where Damien's working on the Batmobile, and Alfred comes down to give him some food, and he's like, Master Damien, a light supper is served. And you he- and I just hear Damien saying, "You can leave it down by my toolkit, Pennyworth. Thank you." Alfred says, "Remarkable work, young sir, if I may say so. The gyroscopic array was a source of endless frustration for your father, as I recall." Damien says, "I promise to finish what he started." That will be all, Pennyworth. And it's just like, I don't know, maybe it's because he calls him Pennyworth, but it's just what I hear. And so this story, more than his appearances beforehand, established Damien's voice for me. And as we saw him grow as a character across this story, across Batman Incorporated, and all the stories that have come after, that's always the voice that I've heard. The voice that, in my mind, I established here in this comic. And as we see the two of them clashing, Alfred has a really hard time trying to be the buffer because he knows that these two want the same thing, but they just don't trust in each other, right? Um, We see this moment where Damien is just constantly like, hey, if you don't want to be Batman, I'll be Batman. And I'm like, I'll, I'll, trust you and i'll respect you when you've earned it and dave and dick's just like look whatever and at the beginning he's just like 
Lose the attitude, Robin. I can still offer Tim Drake his old job back. Like, he is trying so hard to be as stern as Bruce was with him that he's losing sight of why he was the perfect pick to be Batman in the first place. I love the first interaction with Gordon and the police after they've apprehended uh, Mr. Toad because the police on the uh, on the roof are just like, what is, like didn't they used to be taller? Like, why, what's with the costume changes? And I love that from the beginning, Dick is trying to fight against this overwhelming feeling of he's not good enough to be Batman. You know, the second chapter of the story, which is... Um, I want to make sure I get these chapters right because they actually named them. Uh, part 2, The Circus of Strange, starts off with Dick sitting on the steps, the Robin logo laying on the floor, and Alfred trying to console Dick as he's just looking so defeated. And when I was first reading this, I thought, like, there's no way, right? Dick Grayson is Nightwing. He's... Bloodhaven's protector. He's not meant to be Batman. Batman's supposed to be somebody else. But I wanted him so badly to prove himself in that role. And so even though there were immediate signs that his and Damien's partnership would not work out, I wanted to believe, just like Dick, that he could power through it, that he could just take the things that he'd learned from Bruce, apply them here, and everything would turn out aces. Or, I guess, dominoes? So, this is a part in which we see why these two aren't compatible. Because there is a raid on GCPD by the Circus of Strange. And we see that at a certain point, Damien abandons Dick Grayson because he believes that there is a second attack. Which he's correct about, by the way. But he rushes in, not communicating to Dick. And so he is left alone to deal with this giant sumo ballerina. Yes, you heard me correctly. While Dick has to face off with not just this man on fire, but also the monk triplets, which is really fun. And they're all like, they're all circus hacks. And so when Dick is able to apprehend the people who you know, he who he was up against, he goes down to find that while Damien has apprehended this person, his interrogation skills are a little suspect in the way that he is, his whole, you know, routine is just beat the shit out of someone until they, you know, talk. And so he doesn't understand also the thing that Dick understands, which is carny talk, circus talk, the slang that circus folk use in their in their career to communicate as a shorthand and also maybe keep people who don't need to know things out of the know and so when batman has to step in and stop robin from his brutal interrogation techniques they have it out in the bat cave and we see this moment where you know damien's just like i'm like 
I am holding back because I promised my father that I would not kill people. And now you want me to be basically like a wuss too. You want me to go easy on people. And Dick gives him this. I just want to read this. He's like, being Batman and Robin isn't about working alone and thinking with your fists. It's about your detect. What about your detective skills? What about learning how to obey a direct order? Which is not how Dick Grayson talks. He's trying to be Bruce. And Damien even calls him out on this immediately. He's like, look at you. This pathetic impersonation of my father makes a mockery of his memory. Keep your clues and your detective skills and your limits. I'll do this my way. And even though the two of them are just... Dick realizes he's a 10-year-old kid. He's only known hardship. He's only known the assassin's way of life. He has lost his temper. He's lost his composure, and so he's basically telling him, like, you need to listen to me. I'm the boss here. I'm Batman. You're Robin. And Damien goes, okay, fine. Then I'll find a teacher I respect. He rips off the Robin logo, throws it on the floor, takes the Robin cycle out of the Batcave. And, you know, Dick Grayson's, like, shouting at him, like, get back here, Damien. That's an order. And he says... I sounded so fake, like a kid trying to do Batman's voice. And he realizes in this moment that he has been trying to fill shoes that he didn't need to fill, right? He was never going to be Bruce. And so while Damien tears off into the night, Dick has this monologue. And he says, hold on, I I just want to get this, uh, I just want to get this correctly. Uh, he says, it's not even Damien, it's Gordon, those cops. Nobody believes I'm Batman. I spent years building up respect as Nightwing, and now they're looking at me like I'm one more psycho Batman impersonator. This whole idea of replacing Bruce was insane. And I hate the cape, Alfred. The cape was the first thing I ditched when I got out on my own. I'm way off balance. I... <sighs> Sorry, you don't need to hear this. Guess I'm just going through my own dark half hour of the soul, right? And this is when we get my absolute favorite moment between Dick and Alfred in their entire history of being comic book characters. Alfred knows what Dick needs to hear. He needs he needs to hear. No, you're just as good. Just keep at it. You're going to be just like Bruce. But he doesn't tell him that. He tells him the truth. And he says, Well, I'm afraid that's very nearly all you'll have time for, sir. The test drive awaits, however. It's not all misery. As I see it, your parents were show business people, Master Richard. Those are your roots. Try to think of your Batman not as a memorial, You and I know he'd hate that, but as a performance. Think of Batman as a great role, like a Hamlet, or Willie Loman, or even James Bond, and play it to suit your strengths. Master Damien will undoubtedly be racing towards trouble as we speak. Curtain's up. Everyone's waiting for the hero to take the stage. And the spotlight is on you now. And this is the moment that I always come back to. 
anytime I'm about to take a big step, anytime I am worried about failure, anytime that I feel like I am afraid of falling. This is the moment. Because no matter what Dick does next, he's never going to be Bruce. And that's not the point of Batman. It's never been the point of Batman. It's the thing that people on Twitter will argue about until their faces turn blue. Batman is the role. Batman is the character. Batman is the iconography. It's the whole modus operandi, the whole theory, the whole thesis statement behind Nolan's trilogy. Batman isn't a person, it's a symbol. It's an icon. It's everlasting. And that means it's up to interpretation. That means Bruce's Batman can be different from Dick's Batman. No matter what Dick does next, he needs to do it as himself or he's never going to succeed in it. You're never going to be able to succeed in anything if you're just following someone else's footsteps. If you're just tracing the footprints in the sand that were in front of you, all you're going to do is retread the same stuff. And probably not as well because someone already trailblazed someone already pioneered the way you need to find your own path you need to find your own cape and cowl and take that off into the sky yourself the way that you would do it and when dick grayson realizes that he realizes the thing that i had to come to terms with and the thing that i had to realize getting ready for this week um I'm still incredibly nervous about turning 30. I know I've talked to people who have already gone through it, and they say that there's so much ahead of me, and I know there is. I genuinely know, and I'm sorry if you're getting, you know, tired of me mentioning it, but it's been a real source of conflict for me for a very long time because I... You know, I was I was the oldest kid in my household, and with being the oldest kid, and I'm sure older siblings can uh, relate to this, it is difficult to picture a scenario where people aren't counting on you, where people aren't trying to put expectations on you, and it was this expectation that I kind of grew to have onto myself that I needed to be some big shot, you know, achieving world international fame by the time I turned 30. And it's hard to try to, it's hard to stare down a deadline knowing that you're not going to achieve your wildest goal before you hit, before you get there. And You know, I've done the reading, I've done the math, I've looked at all the self-help books, I've read the autobiographies of the people who got overnight success, or people who worked really hard, and by the time they turned 24, 25, they were wildly successful. And it's scary to not have that. You know, I've... I think I've been fairly uh, transparent on this podcast with my struggles, my uh, mental health struggles, my depression, my personal feelings. And it's hard to not think 
of yourself as a failure when you get to a certain point that you should have, you know, I should have been this, you know, world famous performer by now. And, you know, I'm not a household name. And looking at that is scary. And it's terrifying, especially when you put so much pressure on yourself and you don't allow other people in to help you or you don't allow other people in to let them know how you're feeling and as i got to this point as i was rereading this book again for probably the 100th time i've read this story uh it clicked for me here that everybody has their own story Everybody has their own road. Everybody has their own path. And no two paths are going to be the exact same. And as I'm looking at the next steps and the next chapter of my life, I keep thinking about the scene, about Alfred telling Dick, look, Batman's a role. Batman is a job. Batman is whatever you want to make it. Batman is whatever you want it to be now. You're the master of your own destiny. You get to decide now who Batman is. Not Bruce, not Damien, not anybody else. You. You take control of your destiny and just do the best you you can. And that's all anybody can ever ask of you. And so when Dick realizes how right Alfred is, he says, Don't ever let me forget the golden rule, Alfie. The show must go on. And Alfred says, Break a leg, sir, as they say in the trade. This is as good a, you know, getting out of that dark night of the soul trope as it gets. Dick Grayson putting on the cowl and he's not the scowling angry Batman he's not the stoic like whenever Bruce would come out of something like this he'd be stern full of determination focused he's smiling and that's important because this is Dick taking ownership of himself of the role he has placed himself in and of his future no matter what it entails he's going to go into this as himself, as Dick Grayson. And when we see that Damien has gotten himself a little in over his head at the Circus of Crime, being overwhelmed by the dolls and all of the just terrifying things that the new villain Professor Pig has gotten him, you know, has stacked against them, we see a focused Dick Grayson, the new Batman, being himself. Um, I haven't even really mentioned the villains in this, uh, but they're wonderful. <laughs> they make their debuts here in this story. And specifically, I want to talk about Professor Pig because he's a character who I've been endlessly fascinated with. Um, I'm a huge fan of just weird, uh, like obscure villains. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know how much how true that is and professor pig is probably in the top 10 of batman rogues for me he just is because he's so freaking weird and as this as this story sets him up he is 
terrifying. He has these Dolatrons that he has um, essentially enslaved. Uh, uh, Laszlo Valentin was a circus, was the owner of a circus who basically went insane uh, while he was being involved in the drug trade in Gotham, decided to start up the uh, Circus of Strange, and then also decided he was going to make a bunch of minions and not the fun little DreamWorks kind. Uh, he takes people, melts with like these cor- this corrosive acid, these fleshy masks on their face so that they all look the same, and then either lobotomizes them or does some kind of chemical torture until they aren't even able to form sentences or communicate. They're only able to follow his will. And on top of all that, he is a really shoddy surgeon. And he fashions himself this, you know, Phantom of the Opera style, you know, ghost of the art scene. And that's why I think the character works so well for this. It's theatrical. It takes the most outlandish side of what makes Batman's villains so spectacular and so open to interpretation and combines it with the circus background that Dick has. He is a perfect Dick Grayson Batman villain. And that's why whenever he pops up in stories that feature him going against Bruce, it's not, it's always like, uh, ah, hmm, I don't like that. Uh, I would love to see professor pig pop back up in the new nightwing book. That would be really cool to see what he does in bloodhaven. But he has this incredible moment where Damien is tied up. And this is uh, part three, by the way, which is mommy is mommy made of nails, uh, which starts with Dick just absolutely like he has determined that he is going to interrogate the man on fire his way. And so he has him on this like bat quad bike and he is just holding on to him off to the side as he's racing down the gotham streets and he's just like okay you better talk fast i don't want my uh my grip strength to hold out and so after he gets the information we know where damien is and it is just it is really kind of obscene and fascinating and everything that you would expect to come from a grant morrison villain where you know, uh, Professor Pig, who is holding like a bone saw and a drill, is like doing this like dance as he's got, as he like puts his pink iPod Nano, I think that's an iPod Nano, on shuffle. And as the like whatever music is going, which I, I always kind of picture as like that, I, I don't remember, is like, I want many day. Get your booty on the floor. Something like of that level. He's just like dancing all macabre like with these tools as he's getting closer and closer to Damien. He even like rips his shirt off and he's just like, ah, he is on, he is psychotic. And he talks about how he was on antipsychotics. And I always, I don't know where I get this voice from, but I always like, I always picture it. I was like, now what's wrong? You look at me like I'm out of shape, like I drank too much and forgot my medicine. Is that it? I'm an artist. Who can expect me to work on antipsychotics? I hate this music. Like, very, um, very theatrical, very bombastic. And he loves throwing in, like, just the weirdest body poses because he is psychotic. And he is, of course, being the head of the Circus of Strange apropos of that title 
Uh, we do see that Damien escapes from his captivity and goes full on rebellion mode against Pig, against the Dolatrons, and is at the same time trying to save this girl, Sasha, who was captured earlier in the story. And as uh, Dick finds out that, you know, there's a deeper play going on where, you know, the Dolatrons are infected by this. Uh, essentially this aerosol flu that addicts people to drugs it's addiction in you know addiction that you can catch is the way that he uh is the way that he describes it we see damien doesn't you know damien lets his mask slip away a little as well he has this air of like oh i'm better than everybody else i can beat the shit out of everybody i don't care about collateral damage i don't care about innocent people but he goes out of his way to save this girl sasha and unfortunately it doesn't pan out for him during him during his pursuit of pig you know sasha wants you know you know begs him not to leave her behind but unfortunately in the scuffle with pig damien is taken away from her while the circus is burning around them and as uh pig goes to you know kill damien that's when dick shows up that's when dick arrives and the two of them overpower and defeat professor pig they also defeat the rest of the dolatrons but by the time they get back to the tent it's already on fire it's too late they checked it out and there's no one, you know, no one survived the fire that who was in there. So he has to just trust that she got out. And so we see the two of them kind of reconcile for a moment where Damien is trying to explain to Dick, like, hey, look, like, there was a girl. Did Wait, did you just save my life? Like, there's a moment where he recognizes that even though he's been kind of a piece of shit, he... You know, Dick didn't give up on him. And it's, again, calling back to that Batman Begins stuff. It's like, you know, you never gave up on me. He says, never. And as we come to find out about uh, Pig's backstory and him trying to be part of the, you know, drug trade and trying to get the entire, basically get the entire city addicted to the drug that he was selling so that he could hold them for ransom, it's kind of a familiar it, it feels familiar. It's the Joker at the Reservoir trying to poison all of Gotham in a different way. And just like in that story, Batman overcame his own, his own insecurities and his own doubts to save the day again. And as he and Gordon, who, you know, he, he knows that something's up. He knows he's worked with Batman long enough. He knows he's a good, you know, few inches, if not a whole foot shorter and he recognizes that this is somebody else. He says, uh, My men asked me to thank you for the lives you saved back at HQ. Whatever happened these last few months, and I don't want to know what happened, you can count on my support. And this is, again, it's the precursor to Black Mirror. They aren't completely on the same page just yet, but they know that they are they have each other's backs which is all that in this moment they need and you know dick hands off the antidote to give to anyone who is infected uh we see professor pig locked up and we don't ever get a face reveal which again is very joker which i love 
um, we see that they're trying to save the Dolatrons that you know can be saved. Uh, we see Batman and Robin pulling up to a very nice looking mansion uh, that has been taken over by the Bossu, who is a villain that popped up in uh, Batman R.I.P., who was scarred by the Joker, given this horrible, you know, disfigurement. So he's wearing this like, I don't even know, this like Quasimodo mask to, you know, match his insides. So his outsides match his insides. And he's got this uh, police officer by, you know, hung up and he's been torturing him. And this is now the conclusion of Batman R.I.P. is their perspective where they're torturing this guy. And he's just like, you know, uh, no one can save you from this. Even Batman and Robin are dead. And then there's a light from outside and the cop smiles as we see the bat signal in the in this comic we see that it wasn't referring to Bruce. It was referring to Dick and Damien because they pull up in the Batmobile as they're listening in and hearing him spouting off the same monologue that he had from the conclusion of that book. And Dick says, you know, uh, he was part of the criminal cabal that took down your dad and tried to lobotomize me. So this time it's personal. And we see for the first time, Damien cracks his knuckles and he smiles and as Labosu's, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm just going to keep saying it that way. Uh, as Labosu, you know, shrieks, even Batman and Robin are dead. Glass shatters. Batman and, Re- and Robin are reborn. Meanwhile, we get some vignettes at the end of the story. Uh, we see that, you know, and, and vignettes were a big part of grant morrison's batman run specifically the batman and robin run because every issue and i kind of wish more comics did this nowadays uh every issue ends with like a splash page showing you know the last panel for the comic says next and batman and robin and then the title of the next uh chapter and then like three teaser images to get you hyped like it's a saturday morning cartoon or Batman 66, like showing you, hey, this is what to look forward to. Uh, this one gives us an extended version of that, where we see Alfred in the penthouse of Wayne Tower. We see him tidying up some of the photos, including a photo with Talia and Damien, and then a photo with Bruce, Dick, and Alfred with Ace. And we see that across the way, someone is standing on a gargoyle watching. And we see back at the hospital that the father of Sasha, who was also turned into a Dolatron, is being murdered by Sasha as the two uh, police officers come into the uh, room and see her doing this. She goes to attack them, but before she can take them out, gunshots ring out and both of the cops are killed. And as Sasha turns, she sees someone hanging out the window into the room saying you need a friend right and me i'm looking for a partner to help me wipe the vomit off the face of gotham once and for all well you have anything else planned and as he reaches a handout we see that it's the red hood a new version of the red hood we don't know specifically at this point if it's jason todd but up to this point it's been jason todd so it's a pretty good uh 
pretty good guess, pretty good assumption to make that it's going to be Jason. And this starts the Revenge of the Red Hood arc, which is, again, a classic, like, you know, Batman year one, hey, you know, we've, you know, there's been this string of crimes, we got someone else, and he flips over the Joker card, and we know that the work isn't done, we know that the adventure continues, and that it's now going to continue with the understanding that it's Dick and Damien's story. And I love this book. I love it to death. I really, really do. And I think my appreciation of it has only grown as I've gotten older. I loved it right from the get-go when I first read it way back when, but I've loved it more and more every single time I revisit it. And when looking at it for for this, for this episode, and for, again, returning to my comfort character just before I enter the next stage of my life, it was refreshing, and it was exactly what I needed. Because just like Dick, you know, I have an entire adventure ahead of me, right? You know, this isn't the end of my story. This is just the end of the first chapter. And there is so much that I'm excited to do. There's so much that I'm excited to um, be a part of. And knowing that I also know that it's going to be done my way. That I'm not going to be aping someone else's... um, someone else's path, someone else's story, someone else's methods, and that makes it exciting in a way. You know, change can be incredibly scary, and it often is, and I will probably, you know, be afraid or at least hesitant with change for the rest of my life, but it can also be really exciting. It can be anything you want it to be, because nothing ever stays the same and that's something that's kind of wonderful because even though things change all the time the world keeps spinning and new adventures keep being told and as i'm looking forward into the next stage of my life the next chapter as i look into my 30th year on this earth i'm gonna remember the words of dick grayson as a wise batman once said No matter how scary change may be, the show must go on. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of August 10th, 2022. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, honestly, it was X-Men Red number 5. I want to give a quick shout to champion new champion of Shazam number one incredible start love that book but from start to finish X-Men Red number five had me on the edge of my seat I could not put put this book down I reread it at least three times after reading it the initial time um this book was something else I just I couldn't I couldn't 
wrap my head around it. It's so good. Um, we knew that something bad was happening because of what we saw in Judgment Day number one. Uh, but I didn't know it was going to be this bad. So uh, really excited. The ending. Oh, my God. It's so, so good. So I'm really excited to see how they follow up with that. And with that, let's get on into this week's books. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books for you to check out this week. Starting things off with Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number three. This is written by Tarun Grunbeck with art by Michael Dowling. And I've been really enjoying this story, this little revisit to Jane Foster's time as the Mighty Thor while also trying to reject it and continue to be the Valkyrie. Uh, I've been really liking it, so that's all I have to say about that. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Jane versus Sim of Limbo for the fate of Asgard. The battle against the Dark Elves and their allies rages on in Asgard, and the warriors of the Golden City are losing. Badly. Runa the Valkyrie has managed to stave off total defeat, but Asgard desperately needs Thor. Can Jane find clues to the Thunder God's whereabouts in Limbo, or will she lose herself to Sim's dark magics? So lots of cool stuff going on in this book. If you enjoy uh, Jane Foster and her time as Thor, you should definitely be picking this one up for sure. Next up, we have Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Green Lantern number one. Lots of, lots of words in the title. Uh, this is written by Phil Kennedy Johnson and Jeremy Adams with art by Jackson Herbert and Fernando Blanco. Uh, this is a another tie-in just like the uh, Worlds Without a Justice League Superman that I was ranting and raving about, uh, except this one is Green Lantern focused. So this one's going to be interesting. There's also a backup with Hot Girl. So let's dive into the synopsis. When Pariah and his forces of the, of the Great Darkness laid waste to the most powerful superheroes of all time, all hope was lost. But the spirit of the Justice League can never truly die. Jon Stewart takes flight to defend his planet as the Emerald Knight of Justice alongside allies Red Hood and the blind prophet Kyle Rayner. Plus, Hawkgirl takes to the skies in her own unique world. Where there's life, there's hope. And with that hope comes a deeper unraveling of the tapestry of the DCU's biggest event of 2022. Now, I know I should probably say Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, Worlds Without a Justice League, Green Lantern, number one, but that's just too many words to put in one title. Um, I'm interested in this. I'm not expecting it to be as mind-blowing as uh, Worlds Without a Justice League Superman, but, I mean, Kyle Rayner's in it, so you know I gotta pick it up. Next up, we have Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number three. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. I've been loving this book. All Both of the Captain America books have been fantastic so far, and I've been really enjoying both of them. Can't wait to pick this up. Let's dive into the synopsis. Steve Rogers tracks the mysterious organization known only as the Outer Circle to a lab in the heart of a volcano, where the original creator of the shield left behind a dire message. But the Outer Circle isn't going to let the information go without a fight. Who or what is the redacted? And will Steve survive long enough to find out? Meanwhile, Bucky Barnes finds himself in a high-stakes battle with none other than the Dryad herself, Peggy Carter. So yeah, really interested in what they're doing here. I have no idea what's going on with this redacted character, but 
Should be some good fun times fighting in a volcano. Next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 14. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Sian Tormi. And I've been really enjoying the book. I loved the debut of Dreamer in last month's issue. And I'm hoping that she sticks around for a little bit. But we are getting to the climax of the big um, Superman versus Bendix story. So expect to see some... Uh, some plot lines being wrapped up, and we start moving towards the final big boss battle. Henry Bendix has threatened and manipulated and killed without consequence. Now, after a shocking coordinated attack on Earth's heroes, it's time for Superman, Jay, and the revolutionaries to strike back. But first, Jay Nakamura must embrace his powers and become the hero John knows he can be. So it looks like Jay's going to get a brand new superhero suit. According to this cover, I think he's going to be called Gossamer, which is interesting. Uh, and I'm really excited to see more of the revolutionaries. I love the revolutionaries from uh, the Taylor Redondo Suicide Squad. So I'm really excited to see more of them. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man, number seven. Uh, this is written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. And this is, I guess, technically Spider-Man 901. Uh, this is also going to be kicking off the brand new status quo for the character. Uh, if you've been really nervous about this whole Goblin Boy Jr. stuff, here we go. Can't wait to pick this up. Let's dive into the synopsis. Norman Osborn is back. But what does he have planned for Spider-Man? One of the biggest Spidey status quo changes in years is here. So yeah, everything that's promising right there in the solicit is going to be some big stuff. But the two big books of the week, the books I think you should absolutely be picking up, are first, Deceased War of the Undead Gods number one. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Harrison. You know the drill, you know the team. This is it. This is the final chapter in the Deceased saga. This is the end of all things Deceased. So I am very excited to see this as issue one of eight. Uh, it all ends here. So final chapter begins. Let's dive into the synopsis. What began as a battle for Earth has become a war for the galaxy, as the epic final chapter in the massive Deceased franchise is here. The emergence of a reborn, undead dark side and Deceased dead planet sets the stage for the most devastating conflict yet for Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. As the anti-life equation spreads into the cosmos, the survivors of Earth prepare for the coming apocalypse and realize their only hope could lie in the most powerful surviving hero from the first Deceased series. I don't remember who that is. Uh, the best-selling creative team of Tom Taylor and Trevor Harrison return for their third and final installment in The War of the Undead Gods. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I feel like it's supposed to be Superman, but, I mean, it could be Green Canary, and I'd be fine with that, too. So I'm very excited about this. Cannot wait to pick this up. And tied for biggest book of the week is AXE Judgment Day number two this is written by karen gillen art by valerio shiti um chapter one messed me up right good so <laughs> i am very nervous to see what they do here um can't wait to pick this up though let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis the wicked will be put to death 
as the world shakes, an unlikely group of heroes and less than heroes gather to find a peaceful solution. Sadly, the best laid plans of man, mutant, and eternal oft go awry. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good. A mighty blow was struck against the mutants in part one. I am very interested to see how they respond, so definitely pick this up. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, number three. Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Green Lantern, number one. Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number three. Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 14. The Amazing Spider-Man, number seven. Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, number one, and AXC Judgment Day, number two. Man, some big bombastic status quo changes, the beginning of the final chapter, and some good old-fashioned Captain America punchin'. What more could you want in a week of comics? And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you... Give us a five-star rating and review, perhaps, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read it. If you give me those five stars, the sky is the limit. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geeksplain mailbag, feel free to send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the show. I want to give a very special shout out to listener Matt Keaton, who sent me an email over the uh, over the last week that really touched my heart and really um, honestly just made my entire week. It really, really did. Uh, Matt sent me an email. I'm not going to read it all because it's it's fairly long and. You know, sometimes I like to keep things a little to myself, but it resonated with me so much. Um, He was basically talking about how he listened to the podcast. I always love hearing that people are listening and joining to the podcast. Um, He wanted to reach out because he turned, he also just turned 30 two months ago, and he was going through kind of the same stuff that I was. Uh, I'm going to read something he wrote here. He said, Why is turning 30 so scary? Is it societal pressure, self-induced anxiety, fear of the unknown, mortality salience for both oneself and loved ones, all of the above? And yeah, I I mean, yeah, it. he put it plain as day right there. And, you know, he, he talked about a thing that I was very, <laughs> I laughed at because I felt very much the same way. Um, he had a friend who was turning 30 a few years ago, and he didn't really understand what the issue was until he turned 29, which, again, was the same thing that I went through. And I've had friends throughout my 20s who have turned 30 who have, you know, gone through kind of the same thing. And I didn't really understand it until I turned 29. 
and it was terrifying. It was scary. And just like he detailed in his uh, in his email, it was like, you know, it felt like a roller coaster. The ups felt a little bit higher. The downs felt a little bit lower. And he did report that he had an amazing 30th birthday. And I'm very happy about that. And I want to wish him a late 30th birthday. Happy birthday, Matt. Um, and he put something that was very poignant. And the reason that I wanted to include it here. Um, he... He... He had something that was very personal that he put in here, and I didn't want to um, just broadcast it to people. But he found out something about himself that really kind of shifted his perspective. And he wrote, I share all this and summarize by readdressing the self-defeating questions I was asking above in regards to turning 30. And want to highlight that in that year of anxiety and dread, there are questions I never once thought to ask. What if things get better? What if this isn't an end, but a beginning? I don't think to cross. I don't think it crossed my mind that maybe, just maybe, my best days were yet to come. And that was when it kind of clicked for me. And I'm gonna be honest, Matt. I'm gonna heap some praise on you for a moment. You are the reason that I did this episode. You are the reason because when you when I read your email, it reminded me of Batman and Robin Reborn. It reminded me of that Dick Grayson moment with Alfred. What if the best days are yet to come? And I've tried not to get emotional about it, but I'm just going to get a little emotional about it. But it really, really hit a nerve with me. And it absolutely got me thinking about those existential questions. And, you know, yeah, maybe the next great adventure is just through the door that says 30 on it. Um, so again, Matt, thank you so much for writing in. Um, I hope it's a consolation prize that I didn't, uh, read your entire email that I basically made this episode in tribute to your email. So I really appreciate you writing in. And again, if you want to be part of the Geeksplain mailbag, if you want to chat with me, if you want to just send in, you know, life-changing stuff that influences future episodes. Uh, feel free to send your emails to geeksplained.gmail.com. I sure do appreciate it, and I love hearing from my listeners. Uh, also, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, see teasers for our book club episodes, and much, much more, you can follow us on the Instagram and the Twitter. At uh, GeeksplainedPod is the handle, at GeeksplainedPod. I've been doing a ton of stuff on Twitter. Twitter and a little bit on Instagram as well. I'm a little bit more active on Twitter, but if you want to, you know, continue the conversation for any of the episodes that we've had, feel free to do that there. I love talking to you guys about the episodes, about the podcast, about stuff that I maybe haven't covered on the podcast yet. So feel free to reach out again at Explained Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, Every single Friday, we are doing the Geeksplained Book Club, and this week, it all comes to an end. Our Days of Thunder, where we've been going through every single issue of every single volume of Jason Aaron's Thor alongside my amazing friends Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, is coming to our very last stop. Part 10, King 
Thor. Jason Aaron's final word on Thor, at least in the main title. Um, Last week we did War of the Realms. It was our longest book club session ever. It was our 60th session, which I think is appropriate. Over three, almost three and a half hours covering the big old War of the Realms event and wrapping up that uh, Thor 2018 book, talking about some tie-ins that we loved and really tying a lot of the loose ends together of Jason Aaron's entire run. This is almost the epilogue. This is the coda. This is the final word for Jason Aaron's Thor run. And I don't want you to miss it. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go back through the archives if you haven't checked out the Days of Thunder and the Kick-Ass intro music uh (laughs) it's been a ton of fun we've been going through jason aaron's thor run and it's been again something that i've really really enjoyed and the book club session is going to be coming out on my birthday this friday so ring in 30 with me and the geek explained book club tune in this friday be there or be square not a circle but that is going to do it for this week's episode and I'm sure you caught at the beginning in the little intro stinger to this episode. This isn't the only spotlight episode we're doing. In fact, we're not just doing a back-to-back spotlight. We're doing a month full of Geek Explained spotlights where I'm going to be tackling comics that I love and also comics that are a little topical. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to lie about it. Um, next week we are going to be continuing our spotlight series by checking out a comic that I have been really, really excited to dive into, and that is She-Hulk by Charles Sewell and Javier Polito. I have heard so many good things about this book. I cannot wait to dive into it with you next week, also to celebrate the release of the premiere of She-Hulk on Disney+. Plus. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, the full title. Um, I'm very excited about the show, all the stuff that I've seen of it. Yes, of course, the daredevil of it all is really, really fun and really exciting, but I'm also just really excited to see Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. So to celebrate all that, we're going to be covering Charles Sewell and Harvey Polito's She-Hulk run. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But... For now, for the Geek Explained Podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Here's to 30. You can never know what it's like You blood like a winter freeze, just like ice And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you You will wander like the wreck you hide behind that mask you use And if you think this fool could never win Well look at me, I'm coming back again Got a taste of love and a simple way you need to know how I feel standing You just fit there And don't you know